We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This episode, we will be talking U.S. men's national team as we are on an international break. Spanish drama, Ballon d'Or, Messi, Americans abroad, Watergate, and so much more. But first joining me, well, again, my good friend Stu Holden sitting in for David Mossy as uh, Mossy continues to traipse around the world. At this point, he is over there in, um, how do we say it? Ibiza? Ibiza. Uh, Ibiza. Ibiza. Uh, so he's having the time of his life, and he certainly, I think everybody would agree, deserves a little time off. But he will be back again next week, so Stu continues to fill in. Um, admirably. Uh, welcome again, Stu. We are in the studio uh, today. Uh, earlier this week, we did it from home, but we are in the studio again, all the incredible men and women making us look and sound good. In my case, it takes a village. For Stu, you come camera ready no matter what. <laughs> you are uh, wonderful. Have uh, you watched anything or seen anything or listened to anything or done anything of note that well, the uh, State of the Union podcast First of all, as a, as a nod to uh, David Mossy, I've put a like a hoodie on. Yep. I feel like that's kind of, you know, I know he's got it's an homage. Up, but it's an homage to, okay. to David Mossy. I'm going to slump a little bit more in the chair here. Uh, <laughs> thanks for letting me fill in, Mossy, once more. You know what I've been watching, Alexi Lawless? What's that? Love Island. Oh my God. Here we go again. Last yeah. time you were on, you there's had, uh, a many, a many a season. So, you know, I, it's one of these things you're going to continue watching. And so boy, is this already done? Is, is this all the episodes are done and the seasons are yeah. done? So this is a backlog of something. Yeah, I'm on now. the, like the most recent season, which uh, just ended, which by the way, it's filmed in Mallorca. Oh really? And also I'm on episode, I think 59 or something like that coming up to the season finale. So, and this very is a, excited. a bunch of, uh, of young, good looking men and women getting together and, yep. uh, you know, uh, hijinks ensue and debauchery and that type of stuff. It's a reality show, yeah, right? You, you nailed it. It's not, you sold it. Okay. I feel like you should watch this. Sex? Any uh, type of sex uh, going on? You know, sometimes uh, there's some movement under the okay. covers. You All don't right. really know. But, okay. Yeah. And you're Now, they're not confined <laughs> to one house or anything. Like, they put they them are. in different situations. No, no, oh, no they're confined a, in a, a house. But sometimes, you know, they send the, the men out to a different house and then they throw in some surprise women and see if they spark a new interest and maybe that causes drama with the old ones. And then they watch tape of the whole thing. And that's, it's, wow. they, they look for situations to create chaos. Well, um, 
not that uh, sex leads me to this, but before I, but before I get uh, my mom, uh, oh boy, <laughs> stop the podcast. Mom, no, I, I was talking to my mom coming into work today and uh, she wanted specifically for me to tell you how much she loves everything that you do. And Aww. she loves Mossy and, 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 and all that, but she uh, loves listening to you and loves your whole, um, you know, body of work, shall we say, when it comes to what's going on. Oh. So she said, make sure you tell Stu that I said hello. Well, so thank you, Mrs. Lawless. I, I, I really appreciate that. If, I don't appreciate your son's intro to get there, but I, I appreciate it's that. It's very possible, though, that on your recommendation, my mom might start watching this uh, Love, Love Island. That would be that phenomenal. Yeah, Love Island. Oh, the UK God. version. The UK version. It's okay. very important you watch that. All right. Well, mom, if you're going to do it, um, definitely the UK version. All right. What have I done? Um, I just finished the White House Plumbers. That is on uh, well, what is now called Max, I think. And it's five episodes about stars Woody Harrelson. And it's about the break-in at Watergate. When I say Watergate to you, because I am a Gen, Gen Xer, you are a millennial, right? Yes. When I say Watergate to you, what is it? What, what comes up in your mind? What do you uh, think about? Yeah, Anything? Water, yeah, like, was that Nixon era? Was that yeah, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Is, that, is, that, is that close? <laughs> it is. So it's, <laughs> it, it doesn't break any new ground on, uh, you know, the Watergate scandal that ultimately took down uh, Richard Nixon, Nixon and his administration. Um but it, but it is an interesting look. There's a little kind of jokey humor comedy aspect to it that I think doesn't, doesn't work in this, uh, in this instance, but it's still something to do. And then the other thing, um, I finished uh, Clay Travis's book, American Playbook. Clay, you know him. He's one of our colleagues here, been involved in sports for a long time, obviously huge now in the political sphere, and just came out with a book basically explaining how he would go about doing it uh, going, uh, going forward. You know, you know Clay, yeah, too. Yeah, so yeah, no Clay, quick yeah. read, easy read, uh, but really interesting, and I think shows a side of him that a lot of people don't necessarily see. And I, I talked to him about this. I said, this is, there's a person and personality that doesn't you know, doesn't we don't see a whole lot when it comes to his persona on television or his persona when it comes to um, radio. And I'm not saying that he's not being himself, but there's only so much that you can get out. And so I think in the uh, in the writing sphere, it's we're able to see a whole lot more humanity and and uh, and personal and emotional uh, types of uh, sides to him. And I, that probably applies to a lot of people that uh, ultimately write books. So there's a couple of uh, recommendations. Ready to light this candle, my friend? Let's do it, man. All right. Let's start off with, as we mentioned uh, earlier in the week, we are in this international break. We talked a little bit about what to expect from this U.S. W uh, men's national team coming up. But again, games against Uzbekistan on Saturday, that would be 5.30 Eastern time. Uh, and these, again, uh, I mentioned Max are on TNT and Max over there, our friends over there, uh, the blue streaming. <laughs> That's how I associate it with blue now. Max is all about blue. And then Oman next Tuesday, and that would be 8.30 Eastern Standard Time. Uh, let's start this weekend with, uh, with Uzbekistan. We talked a little bit earlier this week about things that we want to expect. I think that this is, it's almost a reintroduction of this team and a reintroduction of Greg, uh, Berhalter, I almost said Greg Manny, Greg Berhalter to this team after all of the craziness that uh, that happened. So from a big picture perspective, I think that we are all kind of curious as to what this team is going to look, uh, look like now one cycle on, what this team is going to look like after all of the craziness over the last eight months, let's say, since Qatar, and what Greg Berhalter in particular is going to look like. And uh, I want to hear your thoughts here, but I just want to say this. Earlier today, 
I was, uh, you know, going back and forth on Twitter. And look, Twitter is not a... It doesn't sound like you at all. Uh, but it's not a focus group. I get it. it. It can be an echo chamber and everything. But every once in a while, some interesting trends start to emerge. And one of them was Greg Berhalter. And he has baggage. We all know that. And there are plenty of people out there, I think right now, that are looking at this next year and arms crossed and even sharpened daggers out waiting for him to trip up, waiting for him to fail so that somebody else can take this job and somebody else can replace him that a lot of people I think would be a better option. And whether it's now or next summer, want that option. And so a certain sense, I think that there are people that want to see Greg Burhalter fail with this national team. Mm. Anyway. I, I got to say, it wouldn't be fun being one of those people living life, right? Like just sitting there waiting for people <laughs> to fail and like, oh, I told you so. It's miserable, a miserable existence. Uh, and and I feel like sitting in Masi's chair here, I, I need to do a quick Masi explanation of why we're playing Uzbekistan yes. and Oman. Because I yes. think people would look at that and say, is really, those are the best teams we can get? Yep. How are we going to further ourselves? This is a product of really the UEFA Nations League, the qualifying for the Euros, qualifying for World Cups, Comnibal, which you know starts their qualifying campaign now for the, for the World Cup in 2026. All of these teams are playing these competitive type matches and really, the United States, Canada, Mexico automatically qualify for the World Cup in 2026. So they will not have qualifiers, but it also means the pool for, for teams that you could actually play against and high-quality opponents, it doesn't exist at this moment in time. It's going to be one of the biggest challenges for the U.S. is trying to find competitive matches. So, you know, how, with that out of the way, let's talk about this for Greg Berhalter. Because I think when you look at this team, big core of the team that was at the World Cup, you have Musa, you have McKinney, you've got uh, Christian Pulisic, you've got Brendan Aronson, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think what I want to see as part of these two friendlies is I'm not expecting, I want to see this team continuing from where they were in Qatar. I was happy with what the team did. Of course, I was left wanting a little bit more and wanting them to, compete a little bit more against the Netherlands. But I, I want to see the core continue to progress. I want to see Greg Berhalter. How's he evolved now mm -hmm. as a coach in eight, nine months? And what has he learned? What ideas is he going to implement into this team? Formation, structurally, attacking-wise, set pieces, I think should be a big focus of this team over the next three years to be more dangerous in that facet of the game. And Look, it, it's this team is not broken, uh, and certainly not. And I think there was an admirable job done in the Nations League. We'll throw the Gold Cup out the window for now. But uh, I, it really is going to be, you know, what what type of stuff can this team improve on now in the next three years to take us from good to, to elite? And, and you know, I, I don't think we're going to find that out in these two games, Alexi, but... It, there is an important thing in ways in which we can see guys in different situations. So, now. so I want to drill down on that a little bit here, yeah. uh, because I, I remember earlier this week you were talking about someone, for example, like uh, Balogun. Yeah. All right. And what we want to see. And, and I'm curious as to how it manifests, because it's easy to say, well, I want to see something that I haven't seen before, or I want to see something better. And, and to your point, this is not a broken situation. As a matter of fact, you could make an argument that this is the most talented group and now a talented group that has grown out of their infancy and now is, I guess, in their teenage years and then hopefully by 2026 is, uh, comes to full maturity. Yeah. So what? let's take Balogun, for example. What does he look like that gets you to sit up and say, wow, that is different? And, and uh, look, I know he's there to score goals, so he puts the ball in the net, everybody's going to be happy, and that is something that we've, we've lacked going, uh, going forward despite all of this talent. So give me, give me an example that I could be watching uh, and the way that you would watch, and we would want people listening to this, 
to really pinpoint as to, well, that's different. And that's something that I can really yeah. wrap my arms around and something that we need. So I, I'm going to nail down on the number nine position specifically. And I think that was a position where we had players in Greg's system at the World Cup, which was 4-3-3 and defended out of a 4-4-2. Yeah, we're going to talk about the system, yeah. by the way, later on. Yeah, in the, yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and, and a big part of that number nine striker, because we didn't have a guy like Balogun, was hold up play, dropping underneath, Pulisic and Weah getting in behind. Perfect example was the goal that they scored against Wales where, you know, Weah runs in behind, Pulisic plays the ball. Great goal. We just weren't goal dangerous enough from open play with the ball. I think we have a striker now in Balogun that can create chances for himself okay. and is, isn't always reliant on getting service and getting little combination plays around the box. I think he's a guy that can pick a ball up, take a guy on, create a half yard of space in the box and boom, finish. He's an elite level finisher. The give way me, give me a both feet. Give me a comp in the past for a U.S. player uh, uh, or, or, or in general right now. So, uh, um, you know, I, I mean, is this I, a I Josie that, type of situation? I was is actually going to go more, more Eddie Johnson, I think, okay. a little right. bit more. But, but a better finisher. I think that Balogun can be a better finisher than what Eddie Johnson. But I saw Eddie at his absolute best when he was, you know, first on the scene with the national team in MLS. A guy that would run in behind with speed, that could drop underneath, could play with both feet, could score with his head, could, could score goals in different types of ways. And we never really, I felt, saw Eddie Johnson re reach his potential in the Premier League when he made that move to Fulham. So I'm interested to see even how Balogun's going to de uh, develop this year at Monaco. And that's a big part of development. We think, oh, well, these guys come in with the national team and it's more about, you know, how can you get the best out of these players' skill sets individually, but mostly collective. So, you know, balancing where does he play with Pulisic and and Weah and uh, Weston McKinney, et cetera. So a lot of that development's at the club level. And that, I think Pulisic speaks to yeah. that. Look how he's thriving right now at AC Milan. And really, I, I don't know, Lex, who do, who do you feel is our best front three, front six. I mean, it's it's champagne problems in a way for Greg Berhalter. Okay, well, let's go through because we can only deal with the players that are here. And yeah. obviously, it's not everybody. You talk, you know, Gio, Gio and uh, uh, Tyler Adams and these types of players um, that, that aren't there. That Hopefully, if they're healthy, they are going to be there going forward. And again, you said mentioned champagne problems. All right, goalkeeper, do you see anything changing over the next three years, uh, let alone come this weekend, with regards to the goalkeeping position. It's Matt Turner's to lose, right? Yeah. Okay. Agreed. No no, yep. ch no change there. Drake Callender is going to come up and who knows, maybe he can have a year. And we have seen, because keep in mind, this time last cycle, we were all talking about Zach Steffen as, you know, that's the goalkeeper. Nothing could possibly happen. And then Matt Turner happened and we know he went on from there. So he, he can get Matt Turner. Matt Turner can get Matt Turner. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I don't see that necessarily happening the, in these next two games. Would you play Matt Turner in both these games? I would, yeah. Yeah, so just give him as many, much run as possible. And while he's, he's starting now in Nottingham Forest. Having a great season, too, yep. yeah. Okay. Uh, defenders. Wait, uh, just quickly on yeah. keeper. We, I mean, t two and three, right? Uh, we're thinking, you know, those are going to change over the course of this cycle. One to watch is Diego Cocken, who is uh, not 17-year-old at Barcelona, was just recently named in their Champions League squad. So, that's a guy. He's very young right now, but could potentially play. We've got uh, Slanina as well, who is at Chelsea, who's out on loan right now. So I think you're going to see two and three changing, but also challenging for that position is a good thing. Uh, okay, let's see. In the back four, I don't... I mean, if they're if you're playing your best four, I think it's Serginho Dest on the right. I think it's uh, the Robinsons uh, <laughs> in uh, in there. And then what, uh, Tim Ream? 
Does that, that yeah, sound? I think so, yeah. Okay, so that, that's your Chris best Chris Richards Any- is an interesting one. If he's playing more, had a good performance for the U.S. in the Nations League uh, where they yeah, they played Mexico and then Canada. There was a video of um, the U.S. men's national team under Greg Berhalter. And again, we're kind of razor focused on what's the <laughs> dynamic and how is everybody reacting to it? There was a video of uh, Christopher Lund, the Palermo player, Denmark uh, player who has chosen the U.S., them announcing, even BJ was involved in it, announcing that the uh, ITC form had come through and his one-time switch had come through. And so now he was kind of part of that brotherhood. It was fun. It was fun to see and get a glimpse of that. How much of this is him just coming and getting a feel or how much do you think he's going to actually play uh, a, a role on well, the field? I would love to see him get, I mean, he's a name again, like the, the dual national recruitment that even the U.S. soccer m and Twitter I don't think many of that those people who keep track on any type this is of a national deep cut. that has this is a deep, this cut. A deep cut and they all of a sudden <laughs> announce him and it was almost like a ha ha moment from U.S. soccer a little bit. So look, in the last couple of weeks, I've spent a little bit of time watching some of his clips and seeing what he's about. Uh, interesting, intriguing player. Maybe get some depth at left back. Maybe he can push his way in. Gives it gives Greg Berhalter options and a guy that's playing at a high level. So I, I'm intrigued and I think you got to give him some game time. One more mention on the defenders, Joe Scally. Uh, do you believe in Joe Scally? I, I want to see him get more opportunities. Yeah. I mean, he's done what he can at club level, right? I mean, he right. had a great season last year, played a consistent amount in the Bundesliga. And look, who's who's he pushing for a place against? I mean, he can play on the left or the right, but really you're saying if he's going to play, he's ahead of Serginho Dest. Right. He's, so. he's, right now he is a backup yeah. and he can solidify his his position, I think, as a backup, if and when he gets opportunities to come in here and obviously with training. All right, uh, let's go to uh, the midfielders. Uh, We mentioned uh, earlier this this week about players like Kramanski getting their first uh, opportunity, the Inter-Miami player. And again, not not doing it just to protect him, but doing it because you truly believe that he could be a player for the future. And then that gets into that whole question of, is this a development type of situation? Well, I I don't know. But as far as the three, uh, Eunice Musa, Weston McKinney, and then who is the third for you between, I guess it would be Tillman, uh, uh, let's see. Tanner Tessman just got Delatore, added. Delatore, maybe, there we go. Yeah. So who who is your three ultimately? Would you rather well, see Delatore or I guess Tillman? I, I think it's got to be Tillman if you're going to play. I mean, Delatore is he's playing consistently right now with Celta Vigo. Yep. Um, but I, look, I, I think it also with Tyler Adams not here because of injury, I think it gives you another opportunity maybe to play as uh, the U.S. did under B.J. Callahan in that Nations League where it was more of a 4-2-3-1 and you had Gio Reyna as a 10 mm-hmm. and you had Musa and McKenney playing as essentially dueling sixes and eights and that worked really well. So I would almost, without you know playing having to play one of those guys at a six, I would play with the two midfielders flat and then when you look up front, we're going to get to the forwards here, you got, you got options. And I think that's where you can maybe play Aronson as a 10 or you could play Polisic as a 10 and you could play with wingers. So uh, that, that's what I'd like to see, at least in that first game and see how it goes. Or as we're going to talk about later, keep teasing. All maybe right. it's a formation. Okay. Switch. All right. Uh, Johnny Cardoso, by the way, uh, got injured, but he had been called in and he would have also been a possibility for one of those three. I, I, I don't get the Johnny Cardoso thing. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't get it. I know he's playing well now in uh, in Brazil, but I just have not seen anything in from him. And he's been given plenty of opportunities <laughs> to show. Uh, we mentioned uh, we mentioned up top. So when you are going uh, with the uh, uh, with the forwards, uh, obviously Christian Pulisic on one side. Then it 
Then it's going to be interesting. Tim Weah on the right-hand side. And so uh, Balogun up top. Is there anybody with, in terms of the Brendan Aronsons or the uh, Ricardo Pepe or Kate Cowell types that you see getting a start over any of those three? Um, and no, if, if, okay, not, not from the start. And okay. I think it's important for Greg Berhalter in his first game back, set the tone a little bit, right. you know, play, play your best 11. Let, let, yeah, let's this is let, let, let's let this team out the gates, have a bit of a spark and a, you know, gain some momentum, I think is important. And this game is where, uh, Saturday once in, once in St. Louis, Louis, Louis? Right? Yeah. Okay. This one's in St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, We're going to talk about St. Louis, uh, at the end of the show, uh, and what it, what it means to soccer. So we just keep teasing all sorts of stuff that's coming. <laughs> all right. Anyway, uh, that's the first game. And then the second game is on uh, Tuesday. Like I said, we'll be back again uh, next week to talk about that, but it's fun. It is, as I said, kind of this 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 rebirth uh, that is happening. By the way, the second game is in uh, St. Paul uh, over there in Minnesota. But there's, a, there's this rebirth of this team. And, you know, with rebirth comes opportunity. With rebirth comes, I guess, belief. But I think it's up to Greg Berhalter and this team, to, to your point, from the moment that that whistle blows on Saturday, to give us reason to believe. Mm-hmm. And it, to a certain extent, make us believe in him again and make us believe in this team again. And I'll, I'll leave you with this because I thought it was important, you know, as some of the quotes are coming out in this camp, you know, Weston McKinney talked about, you know, what their mission was, what Greg Berhalter had kind of put in place. And he said, we set out on a mission four years ago to change the way the world views American soccer. Now our motto is to change soccer in America forever. I will say that sometimes we are our biggest critic and maybe our worst critic because when I talk to people, especially around the world, in the way that they looked at this U.S. men's national team, even after Qatar, there was a much more positive type of feel and a belief that it had progressed. Mm. And so maybe in that sense, they accomplished some of their goal in getting the world to think good and to think positively about this team and to say, hey, this is something to pay attention to going forward. Now they, I think they have to change soccer in America forever and they have the opportunity to do it in 2026 yeah. here in their backyard. So, so that's, I was uh, actually going to ask you that, like just quickly on that, that quote there, do, do you feel, and it sounds like you, you maybe do, because that was Greg's bulletin board quote when he first took over was, we are setting out to change the way that American soccer is perceived because on paper, they achieved what most teams have yep. achieved in the past. Yep. Round of 16, out. Do you think it's because of the way that they did it? Maybe there's enough spark there and the style and the potential of the team that people are thinking that, wow, okay, this team had, was it the it, England game? Was it, no. what was it? I think it is directly related to one, the depth of talent. So it's not that we haven't had players that have been good in the past. I don't think we've had this many players. So that's number one. Number two, the age the youth of this talent, that everybody recognized that, hey, we're throwing teenagers out there and they are holding their own. Are they the finished product? Absolutely not. But, you know, you combine those things, I think that that's where a lot of the belief and I think the fair type of assessment of this comes from. And you're extrapolating it out and you're saying, all right, this is what they are right now, but think of what they could be in 2026. And this was always, I think, going to be about 2026, even though me and many others said, hey, you can't look past 2022. And so, yeah, I think that that's really where that type of view comes from. And I think it is justified uh, going forward. The other thing uh, that it was interesting in terms of what Weston McKinney said was, quote, I think what's most important, obviously, is realizing, and I know myself, 
there's no one person who's bigger than the program. Mm. Now that's not uh, in, in given what happened with <laughs> Geo, and, and and by the way, given what happened with Weston McKinney, yeah, and, and he was dealt with and dealt with, I guess, directly and severely. It, it's important for him, I think, to say and remind himself and others that this is the truth, and things can change dramatically. And whether it's a Geo Reyna type of situation, even a Matt Turner coming along, it it might not even be because of behavior or anything that you've done off the field. It might just be you're not bringing it on the field and somebody else is going to take your place. And back to your to your point about why this team, I think, deserves a, a second look and a belief with that depth of talent. There's a whole new crew that is coming up and saying, hey, I want to be there and knocking on that door. And so you better bring it, even if your name is, you know, Weston McKinney or anybody else. And that's a, that's yeah. a good and thing to have a, a big player say that. I, I'm 100% with you. And I think this is a product of an environment that has been created over four years by Greg Berhalter and by these players themselves, by, by holding accountability. And, I, and I, I'm slightly in jest joking that, you know, that, that's a shot at Gio Reno. I think it's a shot at everybody, as you said, that, hey, look, in order for this team, the United States men's national team, to achieve what they want to do in 2026, which whether that's quarterfinals, semifinals, and beyond for this team, the, the team has talent on an individual level, but this team will only be as good as they are as the collective. And if you have that that working mentality, when you come in, the best teams I have been a part of in my career that have won championships or whatever were ones where if I felt that I myself stepped out of line in any way, not only am I letting down my coaches, I'm letting down my teammates, and they were going to be the ones that held me accountable first, even before the coaches. Self-police locker rooms, that's a coach's dream, man. That, that, that's what you can only hope to achieve. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, all right, let's uh, quickly switch over to the Ballon d'Or. The candidates are out. Right now, Messi is far and away, if, if you're a betting man, and I know, Stu, you are, uh, the favorite. <laughs> Uh, what is it? Uh, minus 600. Minus whatever 600. The, what does yeah. that mean? Yeah, bet so 100 you, bucks. Bet 100 bucks and you win. You, be, you, you win basically. You, you have to bet 600 bucks to, to win, win 100, 100 bucks. bucks. Yeah. Okay, got it. Next closest is uh, Erlen Holland at plus 450. So there is a massive, massive gap. So this, is there anybody but Messi that's going to win this? I mean, especially with the World Cup? You, you feel for Holland a little bit, right? I mean, he's had one of the best club seasons. He's won the treble with Manchester City, scored 50 plus goals. I, you know, I, and I've seen some people kicking, screaming and yelling about, well, if Holland doesn't win, he should never come again. Um, you know, look, the World Cup is the pinnacle of our sport. It's played every four years. There, there's, of course, a little bit of sentimental uh, betting value when it comes to that. And the greatest player that has ever touched the ball wins a World Cup, carries his country to a World Cup. Still, by the way, won the domestic league in France. Yes, I know. Say what you want about uh, PSG winning that consistently. I, I think it's got to be Messi. It's got to be. My keep, vote would be Messi. And keep in mind, this is now relative to the European season as opposed to the, the calendar year. That's, yeah. So that so that that is that has changed. So obviously, having a World Cup right in the middle in of the, middle the European of it, yeah. season certainly <laughs> it's helped. Almost him. like what bam. But do you think that we, for lack of a better word, we punish players for their you know, lack of production from a national team perspective? And it's, it's unfair. I mean, you, you, you're born where you're born or you, you yeah. play for who you play for ultimately. And, you know, Messi benefits from the fact that not only is he the incredible player, but he also plays for Argentina. And if Messi were playing for Finland or somebody else, would we look at him in the same way? Is that fair? I, I think it's fair in the sense that 
I, I, again, I think it's a weighted scale. If, if let's say when Ronaldo won the Euros, he had a terrible club season and Chris and uh, Erling Holland had this amazing club. I think I would have a more of an argument of saying like, you know, okay, you won the Euros. Holland doesn't play international soccer in this case, of course, but the world cup, I think trumps everything. It's, it's, it's every four, every four years, I guess. So for example, if I lined up, uh, I know the Euros is Pep <laughs> and Klopp and, you know, put, put, you know, just add whoever you believe are the top 10 coaches in the world, managers in the world. Oh, here we go. And I had them, they could either pick Holland or Messi to start their team. They don't know any of the other players to start their team. In current form or, or prime on both? No, no, no. Currently. Like this, right is now. A, this is about now. Right this now. is about now. I'd take Erling Holland. Right. So how many of those 10 do you think would take Messi? Man, that's a that's a tough one. Because even watching what Messi, like you want to say, okay, he guy's 38. At 38, the man just won a World Cup and absolutely balled out. But isn't, but it is, isn't that, it's, it, yeah. Don't you, I, so I, wait, I wait, who would you take? I take Erling Holland. You take Holland. Yeah, absolutely. But, but when you're, when you're judging this, you can't get that moment of him holding up the World Cup out, uh, Messi's holding up the World Cup. And yet this is about the best player in this period of time. And how is it possible that given the opportunity to pick between Holland and Messi for, you're not taking the quote unquote best player. I mean, I know I've, I've framed it differently where, yeah. you know, Klopp would say, yes, but I can get other people to make up for what Messi does. And I need those other 10 to be able to. Because it's a little bit of a tilted question. Like, depends on the players around him. You know, you throw Messi into Man City, they're going to win everything. And Messi's going to score 50 plus goals. Yep. Yep. You know, I'm changing my mind. I'm taking Messi. You're taking Messi? Give me Messi. Oh, my goodness. Well, let us know out there who who you would take. Or if there's somebody else out there uh, beyond those two that you would take. Now, the list is too long. I'm not going to read them all off here. But does anybody anybody have a chance or... or, uh, you know, light a fire when you, uh, when you read it, whether it's uh, Benzema and Siala and Mosala and Bellingham and Saka, and the list goes on and on and on. It's Anybody a, here? It's a great list, by the way. It's a great list. Yeah, Lots Harry of really, Kane, really, really, really good Mbappe. players. Gundogan, <laughs> yeah, Gundogan uh, Vinicius Jr. Uh, it, it goes on. Uh, uh, Griezmann's on here. Someone asked me earlier today who the next player to come over um, now, Griezmann's not necessarily in his prime, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least if uh, if Griezmann. I got one be. for you, Luka Modric. Luka, oh, next interesting. Year. Next year, Modric will be in MLS. How about you think that? so? All right. I think so. By the way, uh, I didn't even mention Kylian Mbappe and uh, and others, but I think that this is Messi's to lose, and I think I don't think anybody's going to complain if and when he has chosen and he walks up there and receives the trophy. And I know there's a sentimental part too, but it's not just sentiment. You're still you're fine if, if yeah. Messi wins it. Um, when it comes to the uh, the, the Ballon d'Or feminine, uh, speaking of uh, someone's to lose, Bomati, I think, uh, hmm. from Spain. Is there anybody that even is close? Let's, By the way, only one U.S. player, Sophia Smith, is on this uh, on this list. Just kind of shows where we are. You have your the likes of Sam Kerr and even Mary Earps uh, from uh, from England. Uh, let's see, Dabinia, Rachel Daly, uh, Caicedo, Linda Caicedo had her kind of coming out party at, uh, this past world cup. Anybody there that you think will, uh, take it away from, 
Uh, I, I don't think so. And I, I think, you know, she just, uh, Aitana Bonmati just won the UEFA uh, best player as well. She won the Champions League with Barcelona. She wins the World Cup with Spain. She was undoubtedly the best player at the World Cup. She had the golden ball. So, yeah, I, I think it's a good thing too when you can kind of come to a consensus and agree that when you look at a name and it, it jumps right off the paper and, and most people can agree that she was the best player in the world, uh, I would say that she's a deserving Winner in what I would imagine will be Aitana Bonmati, but a nod to Sophia Smith for what she did at the club level with the Portland Thorns. And then also, you know, with the U.S. women's national team, uh, albeit they didn't advance as, the, as far as they would have liked. And I think that's why she's kind of out of the running there. All right, let's quickly finish up this, uh, this segment with <laughs> As Spain Turns. I mean, this incredible soap opera and drama that has followed the Spanish national team, the women's national team, since their victory and their World Cup, uh, World Cup title. And even at breaking news, as we are recording this right now, uh, I want to make sure I get this right. The Spanish national team players will not return to their national team duty unless there is more structural changes within the organization, according to Cadena Ser, I don't know what that is, but the, uh, the world champions reportedly feel that the removal of Jorge Vilda, who was the, uh, the coach uh, for this title winning uh, team uh, as, his, as the manager was not enough. So Stu, I, I, I've tried to, to wrap my mind around everything that's going on and yet every single day there is something more. And the, the sad and the frustrating and the um, maddening part of this is that it takes away from such an incredible accomplishment. And I don't think that this, this, what this team did, and when I say this team, it's not just the team on the field, it's also the staff, mm -hmm. okay? Even Jorge Vilda, who has been, uh, has been let go, what this team did over this last cycle was pretty incredible, how quickly they evolved and ultimately are standing there winning a World Cup. And there certainly there are those that would say that it could have been quicker and it could have been even better given the fact that they were missing players and all of the alleged dysfunction that happened, uh, that happened off the field and a lot of this that is coming to roost now. So as I mentioned, Jorge Vilda out as the coach. Uh, Luis Rubiales, the head of the federation there, uh, uh, is, for, is still being investigated and continues to be um, uh, get come in for, I think, right uh, criticism in terms of, you know, the kiss on the stand and all that kind of stuff. But what are we to make of this Spanish Federation and this Spanish team going forward? Yeah, so I will push on the, and I agree with you, that this has all taken away in the short term from what was an incredible performance and achievement by the, the women's uh, team of Spain, the national team. Uh, they were the best team. They played brilliant soccer. I, I loved watching this team. And while the immediate shine is a little bit off and there's distraction, I think this is the perfect moment. And they are capitalizing on that moment. And they are using the leverage of winning the World Cup to say enough is enough and everything that we've been asking for, now's the time to go all in. And they have the biggest leverage that they could have because yep. of the attention that they have brought to them the Spanish soccer, and that is because of these women. So, you know, and look, Jorge Vilda, as you said, deserve, deserves uh, some, some credit within that because of what he was able to do in coaching. And the players that weren't there, well, <laughs> this team still went on and they won the World Cup. But I, I, I respect and I applaud these women for saying, look, we know we're the best and we should be treated like the best. Some of the baseline level stuff that has not been accepted in the past and working conditions and pay and everything. If we're going to take a stand, we're going to do it now. We're going to stand strong and we have more leverage than we will ever have uh, again. So 
you know, while I would say, sure, but if you told the, the women's national team of Spain, hey, you know what? Like, there's going to be all these distractions after you guys win the World Cup, but what's going to come on the back end of this is going to be worth everything, then I think that they would take that as well. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, if something good comes out of all this crap right yeah. now, that, that's a good thing in general for going forward, for the players that are involved and for the future players. And so mm -hmm. if they can use this moment to your point, and establish something that is going to make the situation on and off the field better. That's that. That's great. I will say, I I think that there is a whole lot more. Oh yeah, uh, that's I why think I'm that trying are, to be a little careful. I think that there too, are right? layers. Like I see... think that there is nuance, um, and I think that there are plenty of stories that are going to come out. And it's never as simple and as straightforward as 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 you might think. And I think in this case, that is that is going to play out as we uh, as we go forward. But ultimately. Uh, you know, from a from a soccer perspective, this was a fun team to watch. This was a team, as I said before, that established an identity of play, which is not easy to do in the game. And from start to finish, they adhered to it. And it ultimately, it wasn't just this this romantic notion that come hell or high water, this is what we're going to do, and we're at the expense of winning. Because the other side of it was they won, they scored goals, they spread the goals around the team. And they were fun to watch and it resulted in them being champions of the world. And that's ultimately what should be celebrated. And if a byproduct of that is an ability to clean up the mess that is allegedly there, then I'm all for that. Yep. Anything else, my friend? No. Nope. All right, let's take another quick break. Muy bien, señor. Yes, there we go. We'll take another quick break. When we come back, we mentioned we're going to take a little trip around and uh, check out the Americans and, and what they are doing and uh, early season type of grading of the U.S. Uh, and the Americans abroad. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. Let's take a little uh, trip uh, after the transfer window has closed here, for the most part, in most places around there. And in particular, uh, a uh, Americans abroad type of look. And we've already talked about some of them, but so far, so good. And, and, and you know, Stu, we, we take the temperature at different points through the year. And it's almost as if it informs who we feel we are as a soccer playing nation by what's happening with these Americans abroad and you know what's going on over at Leeds. By the way, remember Leeds? Anyway, uh, <laughs> what's happening in Leeds and all that Cold kind of stuff. Cold-blooded, man. Well, let's go, let's go through some of, these, uh, some of these folks. I think at the top of this list in terms of grading would be Christian Pulisic. He has done what was anticipated and what was hoped for in that he has hit the ground literally running for Milan, he is scoring goals. He was named their player of the first month. And more importantly, he is vital in terms of that attack. So it's not even the goal, just the goals he's scoring, but the involvement in the attack, even some chances that he's missing, he's putting himself in good places and not for nothing, he's staying healthy. And I'm going to knock on wood because that's not always the case when it comes to Christian Pulisic, but so far, so good. Forza Milan, Forza Pulisic going forward. It could not have started better in terms of his Italian adventure. Yeah, isn't it beautiful to see Christian oh. Pulisic playing with a smile on his face and loving the game? And 
it was a tough time for him at Chelsea. And look, that was the worry. Signing from Borussia Dortmund, big money move, goes to Chelsea. And in fact, his production was pretty good over a period of years, but it was inconsistent. It was up and down. You're at a club where constantly changing coaches, new players coming in. And look, he got to a point at the end, he wasn't trusted by his coaches. He wasn't getting opportunities in big games. When he did, he performed. And then yet he's back on the bench. So I think you saw this, this arc of Christian Pulisic. And my hope is, and what we're seeing, the early signs of that at him at Milan now is, this is a guy that's loving playing soccer. And the way he looks when he plays for the yep. national team. So now getting that at the club team, he's got a coach that believes in him. He's playing in a system where he's getting on the ball. And he looks, he looks, he looks. For those that, look at that. that, those that are watching, they can see him. I mean, he's just, he's dribbling <laughs> with the ball. He's got a big smile on his face. Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't agree more in terms yeah. of, you know, when you see a player that is playing with joy, and happiness and has and is having fun. Yeah. And maybe it's easier because we can juxtapose it with the, I guess, the frowns or the body language. I know we, we read a lot into body language, but this is a guy who was having fun. He has a new, a new lease on life. I will say this, and maybe uh, I'm going to defend my, uh, my friend and our friend and colleague at times, uh, Landon Donovan, because mm. there was a time a couple months ago when it was all up in the air. And obviously it was the, you know, frowny Christian Pulisic where, Landon had suggested the possibility of, you know, uh, the, the, the galaxy just, MLS, yeah. yeah, coming back to MLS and the, the galaxy splurging and kind of making a big statement. Uh, but that was in the context of what, what if he can't continue? What if he can't find that joy? And even though the rumors were out there of the possibility, it was not an, a sure thing. And it's still not a sure thing. Things can change. He can uh, knock again. I hope he doesn't get injured, but you know, just, Form, yeah, whatever, form, all, all that favor, thing, yeah, no, things yeah. can happen. But for now, this is going going well. And I think I don't want to speak for Landon, but I think he would look at this as this is the perfect scenario. In the same way that when he comes with the national team, he, it is this. You just felt like something was lifted off his shoulders, and he could relax, and he could be, you know, he could have joy in the way that he played. Now that we're, we're seeing that from a club perspective, we are going to be the beneficiaries. And I'll start out on uh, this Saturday when he's back with the back with the national team, but. I will say, you know, had he done what Landon had suggested, it doesn't mean that he wouldn't have found that same joy and wouldn't be the same player. That he's doing it in Italy, I think everybody is happy. Everybody wants this to continue on. And he's getting an incredible experience in a completely different culture on the field and off. Yeah, but not just that, but he's doing it at a high level yep. too. So that, that would have been the thing with MLS. There always would have been the but from certain people. Well, sure. he's playing with a smile on his face. He's scoring goals. He's happy. But. It's not in the Champions League. It's not at a big club. And I think for now, as you said, it, it is the perfect situation for him. That also comes, though, with him performing and him maintaining these consistent performances to make sure he's in the starting lineup. And then how does it react if and when maybe he gets dropped and he's out of the lineup or, you know, he has a dip in form? That's, that's where I think we're going to find out how much he has matured as an individual and how much he has learned from his experiences at Chelsea. Have you also seen that just from a pure tactical perspective, He's showing up in a lot of places for Milan. So I know we, we kind of put him in that left-sided winger position, and I think that's where he is best. But he is pulling down low. He is showing up even on the other side. He is being, and I love that because he's being given kind of carte blanche from an attacking perspective to go wherever he was, wherever he wants, and not making things more difficult and cluttering things yeah. up because he can do a lot of different things. And who knows, maybe going forward, we see Christian Pulisic 
from a national team perspective, kind of more fin. And again, we're going to tease it again. We're going to talk a little bit more later on about the uh, formations. Uh, Yunus Musa, early days, uh, has created some chances. He has had some appearances with, uh, with AC Milan. He has not established himself the way Christian Pulisic has, but this is also very, very new for him. And this is kind of his first foray. Keep in mind that Christian Pulisic is, you know, he's kind of been there, done that, even at, even at the uh, the young age that he still has. But he's kind of been through this transfer type of situation, and, mm-hmm. and he's hit the ground running. I think it's going to take a little bit longer for Eunice. Yeah, well, Eunice had the red card at the end of La Liga season, so he had to miss the yep. first couple of games at uh, in Serie A with with Milan. And I think we there was a there's a clip that you you can find on social media where Eunice Musa picks the ball up about 30, 40 yards from his own goal blows past three or four defenders, sprints forward. We've seen that blow. It's just amazing. It's It's an amazing thing. And that's unlike any other midfielder. Tyler Adams can't do that. Uh, Weston McKinney can't do it in the way that Yunus Musa does. So I think he's going to, as he integrates more into that team, gets more trust from the coach, you're going to see him playing a bigger and bigger role. And again, he's a guy we were screaming and yelling about heading into this last cycle as a guy that can be a game changer, I could not remain more bullish on Yunus Musa and, and what I think will be his impact on this team going towards 26. So interested to watch how he starts to get into that team over the course of this season with Milan. All right. So just, you know, if we're doing grades, solid B so far uh, in that he hasn't done anything incredible, but he also doesn't ha- hasn't done anything uh, horrible. Tim Weah, uh, let's see, four chances created, got his first assist, uh, had another one uh, that with, the, with a, a header that hit the post over the weekend. He's getting on the field uh, for Juventus. That's a good thing. Weston McKinney also getting on the field for Juventus right back at, at times. Both so of them, yeah. You know, yeah. Both of them. Right are, wing backs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and to be fair, when you're, when you're the outside back for a team like Juventus, a lot of the time you're going to have space and time to kind of move forward and it becomes a little bit more of a hybrid type yeah. of situation. I'm interested how this role develops for Tim Weah because when he was on the field at Lille towards the end of last season, it was in a fullback position and he was kind of filling in because they were low on injuries. And so, you know, he, he ended up doing really well there, having some great performances in, in more of a back four, but he would get up, he'd get back, he'd tackle, he'd do all of that. And I, I'm wondering how much that played into Juventus's recruitment when they were thinking we need a right wing back that has the profile that Tim Weah has. And I think if, look, tactically, you're going to learn in, in Italy. Uh, you're going to learn as well as any other league and how to play certain roles in a disciplined way, especially at a club like Juventus. So I'm interested now, how much does he learn from that? How, what type of impact can he have offensively and defensively? His crossing has improved. You're seeing that. He's setting up some guys for some good chances. So that that's curious. I didn't expect the Weston McKinney playing as much of that role. But again, it's not just hug the touchline and play defense. It's 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 much more nuanced than that these days. Weston might be getting on that plane with a big old smile, or it might be right in <laughs> yeah. St. Louis uh, with a big old smile playing in the in the midfield. Uh, let's see here, Flo Balogun. We talked about him earlier uh, with this move to Monaco. He's come off the bench uh, and nothing in terms of goal scoring yet, but he's still getting his feet wet and figuring out what's going on with Monaco. So uh, I'll give him a C. Tyler Adams, we still haven't seen since his injury, and that's that's not good for Tyler Adams. But the fact that he was even able to do a deal, given the medicals and all that kind of stuff, I think. They believe that he is going to come out the other side of this injury and knock on wood. He does uh, from that uh, hamstring situation that basically shut him down at the end of uh, at the end of last season and means that he's not with the national team yeah. right now. Anything on those two? Well, uh, Tyler Adams, I'm, I'm fascinated to see. So they have an exciting young coach who actually played in MLS with New York City for uh, a season or two. Uh, Iraola last year, last couple of years, actually coached in Spain with Rayo Vallecano, a team 
that I got to see uh, our club Mallorca play against a number of times. He's a very exciting coach, plays a high press, high intensity type of style, which I think suits Tyler Adams really well with his profile and what he can do. Uh, so that that's one to watch. Bournemouth have struggled early results right now. I think they're going to be in a bit of a fight in the Premier League. Once again, that's going to be the case. Tyler Adams, McKenney, Aronson all relegated with Leeds last year. But really, th- this is a guy who's had a long layoff now with, with this yeah. uh, hamstring injury. And so it's going to take him some time, I think, to really crank it up because he's a fast twitch muscle kind of guy too. Covers a lot of ground, physicality, a big part of his game. So how long does Tyler, after being out for, I, I think his last game off the top of my head was in March. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a number of months. There. So he gets an incomplete. Matt Turner gets an A. Uh, this move to Nottingham Forest, uh, he wanted to go to start. He is starting. He is playing well. They beat Chelsea. And I know the current version of Chelsea takes a little bit of the luster off, but it's still, uh, he, you know, he is, he is doing exactly what he set about to do, which is play, be the starter, be the number one consistently in the EPL uh, for, uh, for Nottingham Forest. It was interesting. Did you see, um, did you see his comments about the situation uh, as the number two over at Arsenal? And it, it, I think they got a little bit misconstrued, but he was talking about how if you are not an English player, you're not going to necessarily get the benefit of the doubt. And I know a lot yeah. of English pundits and others out there pointed out immediately that there's, you know, there's no bias when it comes to South American players or players from around the world. I, I, I get what they are saying, what they are saying, but don't think for a second that the way that an American player is looked at is not very vastly different than the way a South American, Central American player. For sure. I think you, you, we can agree. You got to do a little bit more from what the, per, the, the perception is there, but Matt Turner was signed to be a number two. Yep. David Raya, who they just signed from uh, Brighton, he's signed to really push Ramsdale and even some rumors now starting to, to, to rumble there about him getting an opportunity ahead of Aaron Ramsdale. But I will say, I absolutely love this move for Matt Turner because he went to his dream boyhood club, a club that he'd supported and, and really loved, which was Arsenal. And he was an Arsenal fan. Yep. He got the big move to, to Arsenal. But yet after a year as recognized and had the opportunity, whether by choice or Arsenal said, hey, we got to move you on here. But to find a Premier League team, to move to a Premier League team, to take a chance, a team that barely missed out on relegation last year, but it's also starting to build something special. And now he's playing it week in, week out in the Premier League. That, that's what it's all about. Plus, I mean, not for nothing, but that was an incredible season from Arsenal yeah. last year. I know they, they yeah, ran yeah, out yeah. of gas at the end, but he was part of that whole thing. And for him to see that, he must have some incredible stories uh, stories to tell. All right, let's finish it up here. So Gino Dest uh, with, his, uh, with his move. Uh, has uh, uh, back to uh, Holland three appearances. Uh, let's see, two Concacaf Champions League wonderful assist uh, versus Rangers. Concacaf, not Concacaf Champions League. Come on, Lex. Oh, sorry, Concacaf Champions League. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, Malik Toman, Pepe Dest. Um, they are all in the uh, Champions League group stage and uh, doing well, I guess. Playing. I get, I get bees. Yeah, Pe- Pepe's, you know, he's going to have to fight for a spot. Not he's really starting. He's played less than a hundred minutes so far. Uh, he's at, he's behind De Jong who's scoring goals. They absolutely rinsed Rangers to get into the champions league. So Pepe's again, in a situation you got to perform to do that. And what, you know, what's, I, I don't feel like many people are talking about this, that uh, Ernie Stewart is the now sporting director of, PSV is bringing all these Americans in that he had with the national team. It's almost like, Hey, you guys are undervaluing American players. I've seen these guys work. 
We're going to bring him in. Desk comes in. He's lighting it up. Tillman, we'll see what he does this year. And and Pepe. But hey, look, Ernie's uh, Ernie's like, hey, I'm landing on the Americans It's here, all man. strategery, my friend. Yes. It's all designed to <laughs> basically, well, they are plants. We are putting them in all over the world uh, with a, uh, that are hell-bent to bring in American players. All right? That's Jesse Marsh <laughs> is going to be coaching there Exactly. It's going to be wonderful. Hey, speaking of, where's Jesse right now? He's just, you know, he's uh, he's getting money and just uh, he's probably traveling around the world and just but, hanging I mean, out. There was there a period there Jesse Marsh was linked with every job on the planet and uh, his agent was working overtime he interviewed for the U.S. men's national team job did not get it got oh beat out God. by Burhalter and he's still working. I don't know let's see where Jesse all right up. look well this is a, a much better uh, uh, grade uh, the report card if you will for uh, the U.S. players that are playing abroad right now than we have had over the last I don't know six months uh, to a year so this is good let's hope that it heads in the right direction the players that are playing well Pulisic at, at all keep doing that and, and stay healthy. The players that need to get on the field, Cardo Pepe and, and those, let's make sure that they, uh, that they do that. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. All right, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the uh, show where you send in your questions, comments, and concerns. You can send them in all the social media platforms out there. Keep in mind that our handle is SOTU with Lexi, or you can call in, as a bunch of people have, to our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657 657-549-2297. 657-549-2297. Uh, all right, Stu, listen to some questions here that some folks have uh, called in. I think Ernesto was the first one. Let's hear from Ernesto. Alexi, how you doing? This is Ernesto from Jersey City, New Jersey. I'm also Argentinian. And I just want to say I believe that Messi is single-handedly converting Americans into soccer fans. And hopefully, someday, soccer can become America's pastime. What do you think? Okay, thank you, uh, Ernesto from Jersey City. Uh, I was in Hoboken for a long time. Also, what the delivery on that? I mean, was listen, like, he's been full and deep. When the shit goes down, Stu, you want you Ernesto? You want Ernesto, hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, and he Hopefully. must be he must be very very happy given what has happened with uh, his national team when it comes to Argentina uh, in December last year, and then obviously with Messi coming over here. Um, I don't think that Messi is single handedly converting soccer into a soccer nation. We've been trying to do this now for I don't know how many decades and decades and decades. And whether it's Pele coming over, whether it's Beckham coming over, whether it's Messi coming over, it's it's not going to be one thing. It's going to be the combination of a, of a lot of things. Is Messi helping? Absolutely. Is Messi drawing more people in right now that are curious about what Inter-Miami is, what MLS is, what American soccer is? Yeah, I mean, he's one of the most famous people on earth and he has transcended the game in that even people that don't know anything about soccer, when you say Messi, know who Messi is and that he is on our shores, that he is in your backyard at different times. I think that that has permeated through and cut through a lot of the clutter. And so in that sense, yeah, yes, this is a, an important thing, but I am not under the delusion that I'm going to wake up tomorrow or next summer or in 2026, and all of a sudden, my country has been going to have turned into a soccer first and foremost type of country and culture. I think he's converting more people into Messi fans. That, sure, that is his for brand. Sure. His brand his, is his killing. Brand, he's he's undeniably driving more interest into the sport in this country. I, I think it's again, it's one of those things we talk about trying to bring people into the soccer tent and giving them an experience. And I I just think it's further proof again that. 
as Americans, we love excellence and we love the best of the best. We love to watch the best of the best. We have the best football league. We got the best basketball league. We have the best baseball league. We don't currently have the best soccer league in the world, but you have an opportunity in your backyard right now to watch the best soccer player in the history of the world. That, that drives interest. I can't tell you the number of times that I've spoken to people over the years that have said, you know what? I saw Pele play, mm. you know? And so it, it resonates. Look, I'm not saying that Trevor Francis is Pele, all right? Rest in peace, Trevor Francis. But I remember, and it will always live in my mind, the first time I went to see the Detroit Express play and I saw Trevor Francis, Trevor Francis. play. There will be kids... 20 years from now, they would say, I remember when I went and saw Messi yep. played. And who knows, might introduce them to the game from a playing perspective, but maybe more importantly, they just have soccer as part of their sports palette going forward, and it's, they don't think of it any differently going forward. Uh, let's see, Chase, let's see what Chase has to say. Hey, Alexia Mafia, it's Chase from Dallas. Um, I had a question about the U.S. men's national team formation. Do you think that they could ever switch to a 3-4-3? and have maybe the likes of Tim Ream at center back, Walker Zimmerman at right center back, Anthony Robinson at left center back, so he can make those runs on the left side. And then you could stack the midfield with McKinney, Musa, Adams, and Reyna all in the midfield. You can have Geo play forward, have Tyler Adams move more back, Musa and McKinney do what they do. And then you could still have Tim Weah, Christian Pulisic, and Flo Balligan in the attack. Just want to know your thoughts. Thank you. All right. Thank you, uh, Chase. Chase is a return caller. And thank you so much, Chase, for uh, all of the times that you're calling in and giving us, uh, you know, not, your, not just your questions, but content. Um, so we have seen some variation over the years from, uh, from Greg Berhalter, but for the most part, it's the, it's the four, three, three playing three in the back. Um, it, it requires the the correct personnel, and it is it fundamentally changes the way that you approach the game. The spacing is different, the timing is different, and and therefore the personnel I think has to be different. I'll never forget that mid season many many years ago, Stu, before you we were probably even born, I was playing for the Galaxy, and the late great Ziggy Schmidt. Mid season, we weren't having a great season, and mid season he changed from a back four to a back three, and it changed everything for us. And what ended up happening is I kind of swept behind Tyrone Marshall and Danny Califf, just two guys that would just go out and destroy physically. They could keep up with anybody and you got to have the speed. And then I just kind of cleaned up. Uh, in the Beckenbauer role. Yeah, exactly. In the Beckenbauer. I'm not sure he's necessarily talking, uh, Chase is necessarily talking about, uh, about that, but I think it depends on uh, who are those three you're going to be. And I know you, you said you, uh, you, you gave an, um, you know, what, who, who you thought would be those three. It also depends on who you're playing. And if you are going to have a lot of the ball, but I feel like Chase that you are doing this because you won't answer that question that I ask everybody when they scream and yell about Gio Reyna. If Gio Reyna is on the field, who is coming off? And you are, so you are finding a way to fit Gio Reyna on the field, which in and of itself isn't a problem, but in doing so you're dismantling and possibly making it more risky and therefore possibly weaker in the back. And also, look, I, I, I've been thinking about this so much because I do think so many players within this pool for the United States fit the ability to play with three in the back. You can have three strong, athletic, good ball-playing center backs, ball at their feet. You have wingbacks in Serginho Dest, Dest yeah. Anthony Robinson, Tim Weah now playing there at the club level. I come back to the fact that you might actually have to remove not just an attacking, but a, a center midfielder. Where do you fit Eunice Musa? Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams, which I think is the engine room of our of our team. But you're doing that or you're 
going to play McKenney further forward, or you're going to play one of them at right wing back. Then you've got to sacrifice one of the forward players. So I, I think we have to keep in mind too. I think we get so caught up in formations. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We love to scream and, and yell about formations. Formations are really just the foundational starting point for any type of game. You could start with four in the back. And then ultimately when you have the ball, you can have three in the back and you can have Des further up the field. So I think it's about trying to find the right balance. And my hope for this U.S. team is that they're comfortable playing in both a four and a three. You can rotate guys in and out. You can change even within games and be tactically flexible. The most important thing about all of this is to be able to play with control, to control the game, to ride spells out defensively, and then still create chances going forward. I think that's the biggest challenge for this U.S. team is with the talent that we have, how do we create chances? How do we be more dangerous? And ultimately, how do we score more goals? I will say this to you, to you, Chase, and I, and I again, I appreciate you uh, calling in uh, on the on the hotline. And to your point, Stu, we get caught up in attaching, I think, way too much weight uh, and reason to systems and to tactics and to formations. And I get it; it's completely understandable because we are dying to find some reason in this randomness of a game that we all love. But I, and I don't think that there is a sports stew uh, that has more player autonomy and is less reliant on coaching and tactics and formations uh, than soccer. It doesn't mean that, that we can't and shouldn't talk about, uh, talk about them. But all of that is to say is that Greg Berhalter does have champagne problems. Mm -hmm. And that is a good place for U.S. soccer from a men's perspective to be in, where we are arguing and come that day when that 11 comes out, that there are people are, that are angry because this great player can't find his way onto the field. This is, this is, this is rarefied air, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing too, right? Because also we can talk about that with coaching, but the coach is the first one to fall when it doesn't go right. Oh yeah, it's never really well. Well, you know, this guy didn't do this. This guy missed this chance. It's coach rolled out the wrong tactics. That's uh, that's how it happens. All right, uh, thank you to Ernesto. Thank you to Chase. Thank you to everybody for uh, for calling in six five seven five four nine two two nine seven six five seven five four nine two two nine seven. Or you can send us in a more traditional way. I guess now it's traditional over there on the social media platforms using that S O T U with Alexi uh, handle. All right, we'll take another quick break. When we come back, it's the end of our show. At the end of our show, Stu and I are going to give you one for the road. All right, welcome back. It's the end of our show. Uh, and I give you my one for the road at the end of each and every show. Stu's going to join in here because I do want his opinion. Uh, we, uh, we were talking about the fact the U.S. national team is going to play in St. Louis. St. Louis has exploded from an MLS perspective with what they have done on and off the field. I had the opportunity to visit that stadium, visit that city, and just to see how excited they have become and how much support they have given for uh, their MLS team. And now for the national team this uh, this weekend, I, it's it's wonderful. It warms the cockles of my old redheaded American heart because Greg uh, Greg Berhalter. And I'll, uh, I'll talk about Greg Berhalter immediately. In, in when he got to St. Louis, he started talking about how St. Louis is the capital, the soccer capital of the United States, and it brought up this discussion. I don't think that it necessarily is, but I totally understand what he and my generation where we where he would be coming at it from because growing up. St. Louis was the place, whether it was players, uh, your Brian McBride's and your Taylor Twelman's and Becky Salbrin's and all, all of that. But more importantly, it was the place to go and play. And the uh, SLU as a university, 
Danny Donegan's, those types of things. But also um, the, uh, the Bush soccer complex, Bush, Bush beer. We played national teams, team games there, full national team games there, Olympic national teams uh, there. It was the place to be, and it was this epicenter. And for many, many decades, it has been and has an incredible history when it comes to the game on and off the field. And I think that's where a lot of Greg Berhalter and where many people who are following on this uh, believe in it. I'm interested in what you have to say, Stu, because you're from a little bit of a different generation in terms to, of how you see St. Louis. But I would think that Cascadia has plenty to talk about. Obviously, Los Angeles, the New York metropolitan area, Dallas for what they do in terms of development and the incredible amount of talent that they keep churning out in terms of who is the soccer capital of the world out there. And a Columbus Crew, the first yep. soccer-specific stadium in the United States. Look, I, I think... I only had this perception of St. Louis as a soccer capital or, you know, a big part of soccer culture in the United States because of what I heard about it. I didn't experience it as a player. St. Louis didn't have a uh, any MLS team. They didn't yep. have any, I didn't have national team games there. There was never, there was never really any attachment to that other than guys that I knew, Brian McBride and Tim Ream. You know, you now have uh, Josh Sarver, Mark, Mike Sorber, right, as yep. well, part of your, your national Sorbs, team. But, yeah. but I didn't, I didn't have that connection. Yep. In many ways, there was a, a generational gap, I think, of players and people that didn't really see St. Louis on the scene. So maybe you heard about at the club level or maybe you heard about in the past where it had been this kind of epicenter. I will say I'm dying to get to a game there now and see see what it has become. But I, I don't even know what I would say was Soccer City U USA during my time because we don't have a national stadium, right? I play games in L.A., in New York, in Portland, in Chicago, a lot of games. That's where U.S. soccer is headquartered. Yep. But yet, you know, I, I made sure to read up on this. 76 players from the St. Louis area have represented the national team. I, I, I'd i say that's a lot. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's, for, a, that's a great a amount. small Midwestern town, I mean, that's they, they, there's yeah. something in the water there. And so but, they, they do have an argument. Keep in mind also seven players uh, from the 1950 World Cup team were there. And there was this, you know, uh, East Coast and then St. Louis type of mix of these players. If you've ever read or watched any of this stuff uh, for, that, uh, for that World Cup team. But all of this is, I think, to say is that we are a soccer playing nation and we have plenty of soccer um, communities and cities and markets. Some of them that have a long tradition and history, some of them are just coming up and it doesn't make one better or worse than the other. And I think maybe more so than any country out there, we have the ability, obviously we're incredibly you know, big in terms of geography, but we have the ability to have all of these soccer cities come up and each one with a different type of history and a different type of identity. And so when you go to a game, Stu, up in Cascadia, and you do games all, all over the place, when you go to a game up in Seattle or Portland or something like that, the experience as a fan, or in your case, working the game, is completely different than when you go down to Austin or when you go to uh, DC United or, or anything like that. And some of them have long histories, some of them have short histories. But ultimately, I love the fact that people are vying to be that capital city mm -hmm. and that people are angry if and when somebody says, like Greg Berhalter or somebody else says, that it's St. Louis right now and everybody else says, uh-uh-uh-uh, this is what we've done and they start listing the things. And it might go back decades or it might just go back a few years. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm going to leave this one for you because I know Mossy's back next week. And maybe yep. if you feel that this is something interesting, you guys can dissect it. But I had somebody pitching me on how we find a national soccer identity, right? Which is something I watch the Spanish women play, the German women play. They play like the men do in a similar type of style, right? Japanese team, Brazilian team, they play with flair. 
we have this massive country. How do you pull it all together? Somebody says, well, you know, take your region as the Northeast, Southeast, Texas, California, et cetera. They all have a different style, right? How they yeah. support the game, how they view the game, how they play the game growing up. And you kind of decide on what you feel is the most authentic to that region. You have the four or five different ones. And then ultimately you're going to have this national team at the end, but you say, Hey, Northeast, you're playing four, three, three Southeast. You're playing three, four, three, all these different things. And I think it's a fascinating conversation about how we ultimately we get there. It is. That, that's a big, no, that's no, no, a big no. one. We've said it time day. and time again, you know, one of the greatest things about what I feel is the greatest country in the world, the United States is our diversity. But with that diversity comes diversity of thought, including the way that we think about the game. And to your point, the way that we play the game and trying to get 11 people on the field that think about the game in the same way for a country, our size with a country, with our history and with a country, with our diversity, that's, that's difficult. And that is the <laughs> challenge for anybody in the position of Greg Berhalter or Sidney Parlacone or anybody else in these leadership positions. And maybe it's a situation where we go, we go regional. There has been, there has been talk at times and uh, I will submit this and you can think about this as you're driving home or walking home or working out or whatever, that in order for us to have the best possible chance of winning as a national team, you actually, to your point, just take a national team from one specific area. And instead of being inclusive, which is what we pride ourselves on being, we actually be exclusive. I'm not <laughs> saying that we How should, dare you? I'm not saying How that we should you? do that, but because of the realities that exist on the ground here in the United States in 2023, so state. Uh, exactly on this Thursday, <laughs> September 7th in 2023, this is where we are at. But let's be honest. A lot of these are champagne problems. And we're in a hell of a lot better space than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And we can only get better. And this next three years is going to be fun. Less than three years, by the way, until the 2026 World Cup. Thank you, Stu Holden. Thank, Thank you, Lex. For, uh, for, uh, Thank you, David Mossy. With your presence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bienvenidos. Mossy's Welcome gonna be back, back, my uh, friend. Mossy's going to be back next, uh, next week. We'll hear all about his, his trip and his travels to Ibiza. He's and, probably still partying right, right now, right? What time is it in Ibiza? I hope like, he I don't know, is. 1 a.m.? He's, I he's probably he. just starting to light that candle. I hope I hope <laughs> he is. I cannot, I cannot wait. Uh, have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Whatever you are watching, including the U.S. and other international games that are going on out there, we'll be back next week to talk about Catch that. Catch us on FS1 this weekend. We got Nations League qualifiers. Yes, we Nations do. League. Coming we'll at you. Coming, coming at you. Hot and heavy Saturday this weekend. and Sunday. Back on. There's not enough makeup for me, but still will be uh, looking good. All right. Keep reviewing. Keep uh, subscribing keep rating, keep doing all the different things that you do. We will talk to you again, as I said, next week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.